And then I'm going to invite Karen to come up uh, to give the scripture today. And the scripture is particularly timely. I think it's actually even the, the one that's supposed to be for today. So, <laughs> And that's why Brad particularly wanted me to preach today. Because it occurs one week after the resurrection. So if you're following along, we are reading John 20, 24 through 29. And we're going to go. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. There is no intersection and therefore no conflict between science and religion. Thank you very much. (laughs) Perhaps you were expecting something more. Well, I've got to tell the truth. When I first started to write this sermon down five years ago, that was all I had. Oh, I beat it to death like crazy. But in the end, that's all there was, and it sounded more like a lecture than a sermon. It took a lot of thought and prayer to understand what this was all about. And thankfully for all of you, I ended up throwing out most of that first draft. Not surprisingly... I am not the first person to have thought or written on this subject. One of the Hindu Vedantic discourses teaches, science says the first word on everything, but the last word on nothing. William Shakespeare tells us, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Albert Einstein gives us, science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. More recently, PhD physicist, U.S. representative, and son of a preacher, Vern Ehlers, said, God created everything. The distinction has to be made between what happened and how it happened. Science doesn't say why. The Bible doesn't say how. That is to say, religion and philosophy are interested in reasons and purposes, But science is only concerned with mechanisms. And Nobel Prize winner Leon Letterman said, Science isn't a religion. If it were, we'd have a much easier time raising money. (laughs) Scientists look at science both as a body of knowledge and a method of discovering that body of knowledge. The earliest natural philosophers collected data by observing the world around them. And we're all that sort of philosopher to a certain extent. Brad, catch. 
All right. Brad just solved a very complex physics equation in his head in a fraction of a second. How cool is that? (laughs) Gradually, the, the formal discipline of science evolved into performing experiments that are formulated into models and theories, all with a tightly constrained logical structure. Any contradiction among the data and the theory must be examined and resolved. A theory can only stand if it fits all the facts. Therefore, science is what can be proven. Maybe not right now, but eventually. And it always has to be re-examined in light of new data. One of my teachers, Nobel Prize winner Richard Feynman, said, Everything we know is only some kind of approximation. Therefore, things must be learned only to be unlearned again, or more likely, corrected. But always remember, it is data that can be observed and tested that is the foundation of science. By this point, I must sound like a broken record. Data, facts, proof. But that's what scientists are all about. Each of us has the data and experience to see and solve motion problems like catching a ball, when a car is moving, whether or not we can merge into traffic, things like that. However, much of science is far beyond what most people can observe. So it becomes hidden wisdom, things that are too big, too small, too far, too complex for any normal person to have the ability to collect data on them. So non-scientists sort of come to look at scientists as just one more source of information, another set of facts, and not really a sort of source of provable facts. And boy, does that irritate scientists. It's been said that an ideologue, and aren't we all just a little bit, is someone who cannot distinguish between a fact and how they feel about it. As if there were some inherent truthiness to it, as Stéphane Colbert might have said. Politicians, policymakers, and the general public are free to pick the facts that support their own personal position. Scientists don't have that luxury of ignoring facts. That may be why 99.85% of American earth and life sciences scientists believe in evolution, but only 32% of the general public. And 97% of the climate publications in the last 25 years have assigned the role of human activity in global warming. Where up until recently, people were in generally thinking that scientists were evenly divided on this subject. Scientists understandably get a little prickly when people dictate to them what science ought to be. There is a long and obviously painful history of religious and secular authorities affecting scientific policy to its detriment. We know how well that worked out for Galileo. This often results in scientists rejecting religion when it says that they must believe something that they know not to be true. Unfortunately, the same scientists that point out this disconnect have been prone to put themselves out there as being able to speak authoritatively on religion. Sadly, Stephen Hawking and others 
have cited their scientific acumen, or in Hawking's case, his personal suffering, as a right to speak on religion. By even acting as if they can speak that way, it does a disservice both to science and to religion, because this is just as wrong as religious authorities dictating science. I'm here to tell you that no one should dictate your religious beliefs to you. Not the scientists, not the government, and I think the Constitution is with me there. Maybe not even the authorities of your own church. I find as United Methodists, we are particularly fiercely independent about our beliefs. United Methodism is not what's called a confessional religion. There's not a list of things you're required to sign up to and sign off on that you believe these things. Yes, we, we say the Nicene Creed, and, and you know, although it originates in the Catholic Church, we're comfortable with this set of statements. But nowhere in the Nicene Creed does it say data, fact, proof. It says, I believe. I have a friend who insists that some of the most advanced current physics originates in the Bible. You know, in the beginning was the singularity, and the singularity was good, and it begat the differentiation between matter and energy, and that was the first three minutes. <laughs> well, that's the way Hawking might have put it. I don't think that the Bible has to be literal truth. It started out being written by and for an itinerant itinerant herding people 3,000 years ago. Whatever science is in there is bound to be more than a little hazy. But surely the Bible does tell us how to live our lives. Personally, I have no trouble believing the Lord God Almighty can use metaphor, allegory, and parable to convey the essence of truth. What stands out to me is that God is relational and science is not no matter how many experimentalists have begged their equipment to work just this one time. <laughs> Methodism has been with us 200 years, Christianity 2,000. Judaism puts the date about 6,000. Homo sapiens has been hanging around 300,000 years and humans on the whole 2.5 million. The age of the earth is more like 4.5 billion and the universe 14 billion years. God can take the long view. He can set things in motion and let them get to where they need to be. No rush. It's humans that are impatient. Impatient for the light to change. Impatient for success. Impatient for understanding. Impatient even to be rejoined with their Lord. Science fiction author Philip K. Dick wrote, reality is that which you quit when you quit believing in it is still there. And you say, well, that's science, of course. Well, we know that God is also real and that he is always there for us. So how do we distinguish between these two realities, the provable and our faith? Jewish philosopher Moses Maimonides right, wrote, there is a group of human beings who consider it a grievous thing that causes should be given for any law. What would please them most is that the intellect would not find a meaning for the commandments and prohibition. What compels them to feel thus is a sickness. 
For they think that if there is a thing for which the intellect could not find any meaning at all, it indubitably derives from God. But if there is any one unexplained or underexplained scientific fact, and you're using that to justify the belief in God, events are bound to overtake you sooner or later. Similarly, if you require the Bible to be literal in every point, you're going to tie yourself in knots trying to make it consistent with the world as we see it today and sometimes even with itself. The scientific atheist and biblical absolutist may as well be speaking completely different languages for all that they can communicate with one another. But it doesn't have to be literal to be true. Ah, but you might say, that way lies madness. For if you do not believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, his virgin birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, how can you be a Christian? And the answer is in the word believe. If I'm in the lab and having a crisis of faith about physics, I can do an experiment. Yep, gravity's still good. <laughs> Doing the experiment with God is a little more difficult. Oh, not that we don't try. Oh, God, if you just do this one thing for me, I'll never doubt you again. <laughs> oh, yes, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Even Satan and Herod tried to tempt Jesus with that argument. We know that God answers all prayers, and we also know that sometimes the answer is no. So is a prayer that is answered yes any more a proof of the existence of God than a prayer that is answered no a disproof? Are we all such doubting Thomases that we have to have proof in our hands? The messiness of the real world often causes us to question our beliefs. I think confronting our doubts and fears may be a requirement for a thinking Christian. The answer is not in science or proof, but rather in faith, which comes from within and not from without. It must come from your own heart and mind, for external supports are frail reeds indeed. Your faith must be a part of you. So, what can we do? Well, for too long, we have confronted this basically wrong-headed idea, science or religion. In this sermon, I've done a fair job of separating the two, but in my life, I see myself as a unity without the need for separation. I don't check my discernment with my lab coat at the church door. And I take my faith with me to work. And that's the challenge for all of us, to be ourselves, one person, all the time, living a life in faith, as a scientist and a Methodist, as a spouse and a parent, as a citizen and a friend with our faith in God upholding us each day. 
There is one aspect of our universe that will never be subject to scientific proof, and that's the existence of God. Physics does a good job of telling you how to be, build a bridge, but there is no equation for love, friendship, sacrifice, or God. It's not a matter of proof, but a matter of confirmation. It's not any one thing, it's everything. It's sunrises and rainbows, the miracle of birth and the inevitability of death, the perfection of the atom and the panoply of the universe spread out across the sky, the statistics of teeming masses and the individuality of the fellowship we share in God. It is our very personal belief and our relationship with our Creator. One of Professor Feynman's students was trying to explain his physics to his mom and thought that maybe a testimonial from the great man would help. So he asked Feynman to write her a letter. Feynman immediately sat down and penned this. Dear Mrs. Chown, ignore your son's attempts to explain physics to you. Physics is not the most important thing. <coughs> Love is. And now, thank you very much.